Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you tonight. We thank you for the time to praise you and lift up the name of Jesus. We thank you for the opportunity to come here and worship you openly and freely. We thank you now for the opportunity to open your word together without fear of retribution from our government or anyone that would tell us what we can say or what we can't say. Father, we cherish that freedom and we want to cherish it because it is not something that all of our brothers and sisters in the world enjoy tonight. And so we are thankful to you tonight, Father, that we have this freedom. We ask you for liberty in the Holy Spirit tonight, that the Spirit of God would take the Word and speak it into our hearts, that we would not just learn information, but that it would be life-giving Word that would come into our hearts and open our eyes. For your Word has said, Our eyes have not seen and our ears have not heard, nor has it entered into the hearts of men all that you have prepared for those. But your Spirit has been given to us to reveal them to us. And so we are looking to the Holy Spirit tonight to take this God-breathed Word and breathe it into our hearts and help us to see more of who, what, you are, what you have done for us, who you've made us to be, and as a result of who you are. We thank you for it, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. amen. Romans chapter 12, that's our key scripture we spent last time. This is the third session, I believe, on this course on renewing the mind. The first Wednesday night we talked about why it's so important. Why the, what the Bible says about the mind and what your mind does. And we'll see a little more of that as we get into how the mind operates and the place that God has designed for it within you. And, uh, but then last week we looked at the word therefore. We spent an entire evening on the word therefore. And we saw that the word therefore in chapter 12 verse 1 refers to chapter 1 through chapter 11. And we went a quick survey through those chapters and saw that what they are a teaching by the Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul of what the mercy of God has done. What God's mercy and God's grace has done for us. We'll see this even more so tonight. But the Apostle Paul's pattern in many cases, not everyone, but his pattern very often was to spend the first half of the letter he would write reminding them or teaching them of what God had done for them. And then there's always a switchover someplace where now he begins to say, because that's who you are, this is how you need to act. And so he was reinforcing the foundation that you need to know what God has done in you so that when you really see what God has done in you, you now know that you can act in accordance with that way. But see, what we often do and what religion does is it tells you, you need to change how you act so that you can change who you are. And God's pattern is the opposite. He changes who you are so He can change how you act. And you've heard me use this example time and time again when people have come forward to give their life to the Lord. And I'll share this. The image God had given me, He said, you know, if, if I take my the apple tree that we have in our front yard, which isn't doing too well, but let's, it's, a, let's, it's, a, it's an apple tree. And I say, you know, no, I don't want an apple tree. I, I want a pear tree. And I, well... The way you can tell of what, at least what I can. I know some people can tell by looking at the bark. The only way I can tell is by looking at the fruit. So I want a pear tree, so I buy a bunch of pears that stop and shop and glue them on the branches. I don't have a pear tree. I got an apple tree with pears glued on it. And that's what many of you were. You were sinners with good works glued on you. Thinking if we glued the good works on it, that would make us into a good person. The problem is with the, pear, with the apple tree, the first rainstorm that comes along in wind, the pears are going to fall off. Why? Because they didn't come out of the tree. They were stuck on the outside. And when we try to change who we are by changing how we're acting, we're trying to glue pears on an apple tree. And the first storm that comes along, you'll revert to what you're really like on the inside. So we saw that God, so Paul's pattern is really the way God thinks. God changes our nature and then says, now I'm going to begin you on a course of learning how to act like who you really are. But if you don't know who you really are, you won't have the confidence that you can act that way. You'll spend all your life trying to act that way to become who you already are. And that's what religion does. And the book of Romans is so important because it's really designed to change that, to get through to our minds that that's not how God operates. So we spent all of last Wednesday night looking at chapter 1 through chapter 11, talking about the mercy and grace of God. And then verse 1 of chapter 12 says, Therefore, because of that, I urge you by the mercies of God to present your bodies 
a living sacrifice. We talked about what that meant, which is your reasonable service. And then we went into chapter verse 2, which is the central verse on which this course is based. He says, and then he tells us three things. One thing not to do, one thing to do, and why it's so important. The thing we're not to do is to, is to be conformed to this world. And we talked about that word that's conformed is sensibatizo, which means literally to take some kind of outside mold or pressure and press on you with such pressure from the outside, it changes your outward appearance to look like the mold. So like the way they, the way they take a piece of whatever it is, copper anymore, and they make it look like a penny, is they pressure it in the mint with some extreme force with a mold that changes the outward appearance, but it doesn't change what it is. So if you've got a, I don't know, if you've got a, if you've got a quarter, I don't remember what's on the quarter anymore, but if you've got a, a dime that has Abraham Lincoln's face on it, it's not Abraham Lincoln. It's still a piece of metal with an outward appearance on it. And we saw that Satan would have loved to keep you from getting saved and becoming a child of God. But he couldn't do that. So his next resort is now that you're a child of God is to keep you from affecting anybody else. And he does that with the pressure of the world because that outward pressure comes against you to keep you trying to, to keep you acting like you were before you were saved. God's nature's in you now. But he doesn't want you to, first of all, find out God's nature's in you. Secondly, once you find that out, he doesn't want you to begin to act like it. So that's why you can come to a service like this, and we're going to talk tonight about what God's done for you and who you really are in Christ. And when, But you leave him, you're all charged up and full of enthusiasm, and I guarantee you there's pressure waiting for, me out, out for you out there to try to push you back to act like who you used to be, not who you are anymore. But once you understand that that pressure doesn't change who you are, why it comes. Then the second thing he tells you in verse 2 is not only don't do that, but what we are do is to be transformed. The word transformed is a very different word. It means to take what you really are like on the outside and bring it in the, on the inside. What you really are on the inside and bring it to the outside so others can see it. That's what the word transformed means. And then the third thing he says in there, why? This is where we ended up. So that you may prove what is the good and acceptable and the perfect will of God. And we saw that what God is working in you is to prove and demonstrate something, not just to the world that's around us, not just to your family, not just to your co-workers, not just to people that are in your neighborhood and the world, but we saw from Ephesians, literally God is demonstrating something to the principalities and powers in the air. And what he's demonstrating is not how strong he is, not how glorious he is, he's demonstrating what his mercy can do in someone like you and me. So there's much at stake in whether we're transformed or not. And then we saw that the way the Bible says that this process takes place is not by prayer, although that helps, not by fasting, that's, that's an instrument we'll learn that can help. But the process that God has ordained is that we're transformed by renewing our mind. So we're going to begin tonight by looking at what God says about you. And then we're going to look at what you say about you. All right? So let's start by going... First of all, I want to show you one other place where this is mentioned. It's in Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians 4 starts 1 through 16 talking about the, who we are, that we're part of one body. There's one Lord, one God, one Spirit, not divided, and there's one body. And you and I are all members of that body. And he talks about the unity of the body, and we'll talk more about that this year. But then he goes on to verse 17, And this I say, therefore, and testify to the Lord, that you should no longer walk... Now, the new, the new King James says, as the rest of the Gentiles walk. That's not the way most translations are written. What he, most translations and what the original text says, that you should walk as the Gentiles walk. That you should no longer walk the way the Gentiles... That walk refers to how you conduct your life, how you act on the outside. In the futility of their mind having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart, of their nature. They, they can't act like God 
because they don't have his nature in them to do it. So they're trying to do it with the power of their mind, and they can't do that because it's like having a thermostat with no furnace. The power to do it's not there. You can want to do it, but the power to produce the change isn't there because that power comes from the life of God in you. Verse 19, who being past feeling have given themselves over to lewdness to work all uncleanliness and greediness. Verse 20, but you have not so learned Christ. If indeed you have heard Him and have been taught by Him as the truth is in Jesus. This is what I want to get to, verse 22. That you put off concerning your former conduct and put on the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts and you be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man which was created, not will be when you get to heaven, but was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. When you came to Christ, when you received Him, when you were born again, your old nature was taken out of you. Ezekiel explains that very clearly. And God put a new heart in you, took a heart of stone out, put a heart of flesh. That means sensitive and tender. He put His heart in you, His nature in you. That's how you became His child, because He birthed His nature in you, His seed in you. And then just to make sure, He also put His Spirit in you to guide you and teach you and enable you and empower you to grow up into the fullness of who He made you to be. And as you begin to renew your mind and discover who you are, then you can begin to put on who you are. This winter, when I brought my winter clothes out, I found some sweaters I forgot I had. They were in the bottom of something, the bottom of a drawer. And I pulled them out, and I had those sweaters. They were mine. But I wouldn't have ever worn them because I didn't know I had them. I may own them, but I won't put them on if I don't know they're mine. And if you don't know who you really are, you won't put that on. Because you'll still think you're not there yet trying to get there. Because you'll measure what you're like by your outward appearance. And Satan will try to keep you looking at your outward appearance. Get you comparing your outward appearance to the outward appearance of other people here in church. Or other, well, I'm not as holy as so and so. I'm not as, I'll never get to where they are. Well, you don't know where they are, first of all, because all you're looking is at the outward sign. You're not looking at the inner part. So Paul is saying, you need to be renewed, you need to be renewed by changing how you think about yourself so that you can stop putting on the old man who isn't who you are anymore and can now begin to put on the new man who's already been made in righteousness. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creature. That word new is a Greek word that means one that's never existed before. A new species of being is what that literally means in the Greek. Old things, who you used to be, have passed away. And behold, all things have become new. Not in your house, not in your garage, in you, your nature. God works from the inside out. Religion works from the outside in. It says if you keep acting a certain way long enough, it'll change who you are. And it can't change who you are. Now all things are of God who has reconciled not will, has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given to us the ministry of reconciliation. 
Now, go down to verse 21. For he who made, he who knew no sin, for he who made him, who knew no sin, to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God. You've got to listen to this, because so, it's, what it's running up against is the religious thinking of our mind. This verse is saying that Jesus, who knew no sin, it was around him, he was tempted in all ways as we are to sin, yet to sin, but he didn't give in to it. So he came to the end of his life, hanging on that cross, and although he'd been tempted every day with sin, he never yielded to it. You and I are tempted every day with sin, and I suspect you've yielded to it at least once today. Maybe since you've been here. <laughs> so here we are. He who knew no sin goes to the cross so that he might give his righteousness to we who knew sin a lot. How could he give his righteousness to us? He couldn't just take his righteousness and drape it over us. That would be covering over our sin. That's what they did in the Old Testament. That's why Hebrews tells us that the blood of bulls and goats couldn't wash away sin. It covered it over so that God could temporarily deal with them. But it never dealt with the root problem. So Jesus hangs on the cross. He bears our sin. He bears the penalty, the full price of sin. Because the Bible says in Romans chapter 6 that the wages of sin is death. See, God wasn't, God's mercy is not like the mercy we give our kids or ourselves, which is that, well, I'm going to be merciful. I'll look the other way. I'll let it go this time. Because if God did that, he'd no longer be righteous. In Romans chapter 3, it is somewhere, it calls God, Jesus, the just and the justifier. He's the justifier because he paid for our sins. But he had to still remain just. If he just forgave them and didn't pay for them, he would have justified us, but he'd no longer be just because he would have bent the rules. So the only way he could redeem us and not bend the rules was to take on flesh and take the price, take that sin that you and I committed on ourselves and then take the full punishment for that sin upon himself. Once he did that, now that sin had been paid for. Now he could take his righteousness and come over and give his righteousness to us. I say that because the righteousness that you have before God is not that God cleaned you up. You're not a revamped version of who you used to be. Nowadays, if you buy a computer or you have to return for something, I discovered you don't know. The inside of that computer may not be new. My phone started to die after one year. I took it back under warranty. And they said, well, we're going to send you a new one. But we have to explain to you, new doesn't necessarily mean what you mean new. New to us means new to you. <laughs> but that doesn't mean it's not new. We guarantee that it works. And that's the image we have. Is God went in us and he fixed this processor and changed this thing and he's cleaned us up, scrubbed us up and sent us out again. No! He took the old man out, put his nature in. This verse says that we might be made, look at this, look at your Bible, the righteousness of God in him. The righteousness that you have to stand before God is his own righteousness. You have the same right and privilege and access to come before God the Father 24 hours a day that Jesus has because you have His righteousness. That's why the enemy works so hard to point out what your righteousness is like. 
Because when we look at ourselves, we lack confidence. But God's confidence in you is not based on your righteousness. It's based entirely on what He did. Remember, He's proving in you what His mercy will do. Okay. Isaiah, we started with this the first week. Isaiah says in Isaiah 55, verse 8 and 9, For my thoughts are not your thoughts. We're going to look now at how God sees you. My thoughts are not your thoughts, God says. And that includes His thoughts about you. Oh, wait, before we get there, you're still in 2 Corinthians. We just saw what God did. Now look at verse 16. Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. Remember we're talking about the outside appearance, which is being conf- trying to be conformed to the world, and the transforming from the inside to the outside. He says, this is how we are to look at one another. We are no longer to regard one another according to the flesh, the outward appearance. Even though we've known Christ according to the flesh. When He walked on this earth, we recognized who He was by we, could, we got familiar with His eyes, His hair, you know, the look on His face. We recognized He was Jesus by, the, by His outward appearance. But we don't recognize Him that way anymore, He says. Yet we know Him that way no longer. So He's using this con- comparison... He said, you understand that we used to know Jesus. We could see Him, touch Him. We identified who He was by His outward appearance, what He looked like. But we don't know Him that way anymore. How do we know Him? Spirit to spirit in here. That's how we know Him because He now lives in here. But He's saying, therefore, the same way we're not to regard each other according to our outward appearance either. And that includes how you regard yourself. Well, I do the same old stuff. That's looking at your outward appearance. Well, then how are we to regard one another? If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. All things have passed away and all things, all outward things, no, all inward things have become new. We are to regard, according to the Apostle call, by the anointing of the Spirit of God, we are to regard one another according to who we are on the inside, not according to how we act on the outside. That means regarding in terms of how we value one another, how we esteem one another. Not There's some things, some of us will run around and act like jerks from time to time, and we need to be told we're acting like jerks, but how do we evaluate, love, accept one another? And the question is, how do you regard yourself? By looking at the outside or by looking at the inside? So let's go, let's begin to look at what God says about us. So His ways are, Isaiah 55 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. That includes how God thinks about you. His thoughts about you are higher than your thoughts. And His ways towards you are higher than your ways. Psalm 139, 17, Psalm 139. You just, I've, been, I've been living in that in the morning. You need to read that. I'm not going to go through it. But verse 17 talks about God's thoughts towards you. They're as numerous as the sands of the sea. Do you understand God knows everything about you? everything about you. Now, some people that scares, to me, it's comforting. I don't want to hide things from Him. Where can, I, where can you go from my spirit? If you go to the top of a mountain, there I am. If you go to the bottom of the ocean, if you even go to hell, I'll go with you to pull you back, He says. He says, if you think you're sitting in darkness, it's light to me. So if right now, tonight, aside from the people sitting over there in the darkness... Right now, tonight, if you feel in your life as you don't know what's going on, you don't have a clue, you feel right now as if you're in darkness. You may feel like you're in darkness, but God's light knows exactly where you are. He is ever-present with you. A couple examples. I mean, we don't have time to go into it. In Judges 6, God speaks to Gideon. 
And Gideon's looking at this overwhelming thing to do, these walls around this city. And, and God says to him, basically, what do you see? Well, these walls around the city, there's no way we can get in there. And he says, see, I have given you the city. Not I will, I have given you the city. See it. Abraham, Genesis 17, when he's 99 years old and has no child, and God told him 24 years ago that he'd be the father of many nations. God appears to him and says, as for me, as for me, I have made you. From my side, this is what I've done. Gideon, from my side, those walls are down. Abraham, from my side, you are a father of many nations. Gideon, I mean, excuse me, I was talking about Joshua before, Joshua 6.2. Gideon, the Midianites have just come through and love of the land, taken all their crops. Gideon's hiding in a wine press, afraid they're going to come back. An angel appears to him. Hey, Gideon. And he addresses him. Behold, O mighty man of valor. You've been drinking some of the wine that's in the wine press. God sees us, not on the outward appearance, but He sees the end from the beginning, and He declares that now. So let's talk for a minute. Let's go into some scriptures and see what God says about you. So let's go, first of all, we just did 2 Corinthians 5, 16, 17, that you're a new creature, a new species of being. In God's eyes, you have no past before you were born again. Now, he's forgotten, but does does that mean he's got, you know, mental lapses? No, when he says he's forgotten it, he means he never takes it into account. He doesn't go back bringing it up and looking at it again. Hebrews 8.12 says, For I will be merciful to them and remember their iniquities no more. says that again in Hebrews 10.17. Now go with me and, and get your seatbelts on to Ephesians chapter 1. And I'm going to do something here which I've never done in here before. Well, just calm down before you hear what it is. <laughs> I'm going to involve some technology. I don't do this often because sometimes this can be distracting. But what I'm about to do has some graphic significance to us, visual significance. So let's see his work here. All right. I'm going to begin to list out of Ephesians what the Bible says God has done for you. Now, I don't have all of them in here because there isn't room for all of them. So I'm going to go through some things. And the, you, you don't worry about getting them all down. You can. Now, this will be posted on, on the website tomorrow. But it's, it's in here in Ephesians 1. It's better off. To, it's posted in Ephesians 1. By the way, it was yesterday and it was the day before. So let's just start here. Um, Paul, an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ, by the will of God to the saints who are at Ephesus, faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father, the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord. First of all, let's take a look at the first one. We've already looked at it. He's made us a new creature. Now, I apologize. Some of you in the back may not be able to see it because we're going to get better screens down the road. Um, but, uh, and, and to get these all in, the font's got it. So I'm giving it to you, but it's new creature. This is the list of what God has done for us. Just according to these scriptures, there's many more we could look at. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. So here's the catch-all right up front. He's given us all spiritual blessings. Spirit means spirit given. In the spirit realm, everything God has, He's blessed us with. He's not holding anything back. Bless us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Now, these next four are, few are not in here, but just listen to this. Verse 4. Just as He chose us in Him. 
He chose you. That is so significant. He chose you. You didn't choose him. He chose you. That means you didn't fool him. You didn't con him into accepting you and live with fear that, oh, I hope he doesn't find this out about me. He knew it about you before he chose you. He knew what he was getting when he chose you and as an act of his will, he chose you. Your parents may not have. Your family may not have wanted you. Your friends may not have wanted you. Your brothers and sisters may not have liked you. But God chose you as an act of his will. He looked before time down to this day and said, I want you. And when did he choose you? Look, before the foundation of the world. Well, But if God really knew what I was going to do, he doesn't live in time. He sees everything you've ever done or ever will do now. And seeing that, knowing that, not from afar, but actively involved with you, he still looked down and said, I want you. He chose you. Before this world was ever formed, he chose you. So we've been blessed with every spiritual blessing. He chose us before the founder of the age of the world. Why did he choose us? That we should be holy and without blame before him. In performance or fear? No, look at this. In love, he did this. Motivated by love for you, he chose you. Having predestined, planned ahead of time. He saw you before time, wanted you before time, and planned ahead of time for you. Having predestined us, look at this, to what? To adoption as sons. He didn't just save you so that you don't go to hell. That'd be wonderful if that's all it was. But that's what so many Christians think that their salvation is. And so they stay on the fringes on the outside hoping maybe someday to please God. And that's the pressure of the world conforming them to what their world looks like. He chose you, predestined, planned ahead to adopt you as slaves so that you might serve him faithfully. Now look at your Bible. He adopted you as sons, blood members of the family. By Jesus Christ to himself, to the good pleasure of his will. This was his idea. This, we're going to see, this satisfied a desire in, you satisfied a desire in him just to have you as his child. That's what he, all he wanted. And we're trying to do something so he's going to accept us. And we're going to see in a minute, you're already not just accepted, you're his child. Not because you fooled him, he fooled you into receiving it. predestined us as adoption to sons by Jesus Christ to himself not to some place in heaven to himself according to the good pleasure of his will look at this to the praise of what? of the glory of his grace remember what he's proving? what his grace will do I mean you've got the angels and you've got the demons looking at all this then you don't understand how the demons regard you. You're trash to them. Because they're angelic, even though they're demons. They're not limited by the things that limit you and me. They have power in the spirit realm that you and I don't have other than through Christ. And they look at us as like ants. And that God 
would reach down out of eternity and choose something like us? Because you don't understand what our sin and rebellion looks like in the spirit realm. Because we're so used to it. And I'm talking about the holiest of us. Isaiah, who was a pretty righteous man, when he was brought up into the throne room, hit hit his face on the ground immediately. And all he could say is, Oh, wretched man that I am. I am a man of unclean lips, and I come from a people that are unclean. When he saw the holiness of God. See, the angels and the demons have seen the holiness of God. And they look at him and they look at you and me. And they can't understand. What would motivate God to come down and take something such as us, as weak as we are, as feeble as we are, as easily distracted and messed up as we are, and to pay for our lives not just that we go to heaven, that we could become His children and they're not. We are trophies, proof to the angelic beings of His grace and the nature that He wants people to know about Himself. to the praise of the glory of His grace by which He made us accepted in the Beloved. Some of you need to meditate just on that one phrase and start saying it. I am accepted in the Beloved. Because some of you are still trying to earn acceptance with God. And your acceptance came through when you accepted Christ. When you accepted Christ, you became His child. God has accepted you because He chose you to have you before the foundation of the world. Okay, here's the next one. In Him, we have redemption. We've been redeemed through His blood. That means bought back. The forgiveness of sins according to the riches, here it is again, of His grace. It's proof of His grace. See, we walk around trying to improve ourselves so that we'll look good to God and to other people. And and, and God's trying to go around showing what a good job He can do with us. (laughs) Not what a good job we can do for Him. Which He made... Read through that again. According to the redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of His grace, which He made, the riches of His grace, to abound to us in all wisdom and prudence. Some translations say, which He lavished upon us. Now, I've used this example before, but it's been a while, so I'm going to do it again. What this word lavished means. I was the oldest of five boys. Each of us loved ice cream. My mother didn't get it for us all the time, but when she did, it was a major event. And I can still picture it. She'd take that half gallon over, and she would parcel it out, because with six of us, that's what she had to do. Five of us, we had to do that. And so she'd parcel it out, and that was good. But what we were really waiting for is to, for her to go in the cupboard and get that round brown can that said Hershey's on it. And she would take that can over, because there were five of us that were... And she had to make sure we... And she, was a, she didn't want to have eat, us too much, eat too much of it. And she would go into the... Back in those days, she would pull out of the drawer this can opener, and she would go on one side and then you get a little on the other so it can come out and then she would take it and she would cover the top of my dish and she'd do this and she'd take it and cover the top of my dish and, and, and so she put on there what we needed to give it flavor that's not lavished what I wanted her to do <laughs> what I would have done if I could have is take the can to the can opener and go and then I take the can and I turn it upside down on it. That's what lavish means to me. See, we have this idea that God gives us what we need, but He's got to He's got to keep enough because you know Danny needs it and Dawn needs it and Mike needs it. You know, we got to spread it out. No, God has an unlimited supply of this. Now, now look at what it says here. Look at what it says here. Look what it says here. Which He made to abound towards us or lavish to us. 
look at verse 7. According to the riches, according, that's a measurement, to what? The riches, the amount of whose grace? His grace. So the size of the can depends on whose can it is. This is not the can of grace that has my name on it or the can of grace that has your name on it. This is the can of grace that has God's name on it. That's the can that He has turned over and lavished on you. We're talking about how God sees this, not what you're experiencing yet. Having made known to us the mystery of His will, to the good pleasure which He purposed in Himself, in the dispensation of the fullness of time, that He might gather together all things in ones, one who are both in heaven and earth. Look at this. Now, your child, your son, verse 11, in whom, next thing, we have, have obtained an inheritance. Not when you get to heaven. Remember, start out by saying, He's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. You're His child, and He's saying from His side, you have obtained an inheritance. Now that's another term that's dependent on who you're talking about. I've got some relatives that if I find out I have an inheritance from them, I'm not exactly going to spend a lot of money on a plane ticket to go find out how much it is because I'm going to lose money in the deal (laughs) because even if I inherit everything, I know they don't have much. So I may be getting an inheritance from them But just because you're getting an inheritance, it depends on from whom you're inheriting it. But imagine if you got a notice in the mail that you were Warren Buffett's heir. I mean, even while he's still alive, would that change how you conducted yourself? I'm going to just... We won't get through all this tonight, but some of you may know this and many of you may not that John D. Rockefeller, we're going to talk about him on, a win, on Sundays down the road, because John Rockefeller, he was a Christian. He tithed of every dime he ever earned. And he trained his children to do it. And he did something that very few wealthy entrepreneurs ever do. He trained his children how to handle money. And what he would do is he would take his child and he would put him in one of his company plants as a janitor. Nothing wrong with that. But when your dad owns, is the richest man in the world, it's an adjustment you make. Put him in there under a different name and the only person in there who knew who they really were were the plant manager. So Nelson comes into work as a teenager, goes to his locker along with everybody else, takes his clothes off, puts him in there, puts his work clothes on with his name, you know, Joe Smith, and goes out to dust the floor along with all the, all the other assistant janitors that are dusting the floor. Do you think his attitude is just a little different than Harry next to him and Bill on the other side? Because Harry and Bill are looking and saying, I wonder if I'm ever going to get out of here. Nelson knows there's coming a day when I own the broom, the dust, and everything in here. Listen to me, but he was, they were taught that they were there to learn something. But they knew who they were and who their father was. So it changed their confidence and their hope and their attitude while they were doing menial work in a job that was assigned to them. That's where you and I are. We are children of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, the Creator of the universe. And we are here on an assignment. You may be an assistant janitor. You may be a computer programmer. You may be a health worker here. You may be a pastor. You may be whatever you are. But you are working in your father's plant. And the people around you may not know who you are. 
and they may treat you based on being an assistant janitor, but it's important that you know who you are because it changes your attitude. Listen to me. It changes your attitude about you, but it also changes your attitude about them. You're not competing with them. You don't have to be threatened about them. You can help them, be generous to them, be kind to them because you know that some down the road, you're going to be responsible for them. Now notice when you get the inheritance in whom we have obtained an inheritance. Let's go on quickly. Having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of your will. To those who were the first who trusted in Christ should be the praise of His glory. Verse 13. In Him you also trusted after you heard the word of the gospel of your salvation in whom you believed you were sealed with the Holy Spirit. That has two meanings. One meaning means you're branded or marked. You understand in the spirit realm every demon in hell and every angel in heaven can tell who you belong to because you've been branded in the spirit. And it's the Holy Spirit's presence in you that marks you as God's child and belonging to Him. But sealed also means something else. Nowadays, it used to be when I was growing up and you went to the, to the grocery store into the meat section, you could actually smell the meat, look at the meat, and if you wanted to, you shouldn't touch the meat. Nowadays, you can't get any closer than that far. Because, in fact, they not just do it with meat, they do it with everything. They shrink wrap every, everything. And what does that do? It does two things. It keeps out the impurities and keeps in the nutritional things. You were sealed, shrink-wrapped by the Holy Spirit. His work is to keep you. Now, you can make His work hard or you can make His word easy. You can try to poke holes in the cellophane <laughs> or you can stay away from the places that are too hot that melt it. <laughs> Oh, that would preach. All right. In whom after you trusted, okay, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Verse 14, who is the guarantee of your inheritance. So not only do you have God's word you've inherited, the Spirit of God in you is the down payment of the inheritance. Until the redemption of their purchased possession. So the Spirit of God dwells in you. You were sealed in Him by the Spirit. Now let's go over quickly to chapter 2. It says that Christ died, was raised from the dead. And then verse 2 says, And you, who were dead in your sins and transgressions, He has made alive. In which you once walked, according to the course of this world. Look at this. You were dead in your sins and transgressions. This is where God found you. Among walking according to the course of this world. And you conducted yourself in the lusts of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. And were by, look at this, look at this, were by nature children of wrath. That's what we were talking about earlier. Just as the others. But, oh, one of my favorite words in the Bible. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of, and the, the, the Amplified says, because of and in order to satisfy the great and intense love with which God loves you. Even when you were dead in your sins and transgressions, He made you alive together with, this is what He did. He made you alive together with Christ and raised us up and seated us with Him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of His grace in His kindness and mercy towards us. For by grace you have been saved. Not will be. By grace you have been saved through faith and not even your own faith. It was a gift of God. Not of works, lest we should boke. Look at this. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. See, we're trying to walk in the good works without realizing, first of all, we're His workmanship. 
Now let me ask you a question. This is where we'll end. This is, is this the word of God or not? Is it the truth or not? Then it must be the truth about you. How, much of you, how many of you are walking in it? The fullness of it. Just think, and this is what I want you to do between now and next Wednesday. I want you to go back through these things, and I just want you to think, just to yourself, what would things be like if this really were true? Well, I know it's true. Yeah, but you don't know it in here. What would your life be like? What would your attitude getting up in the morning what would your attitude when things go... You have one of those days when everything just seems to go wrong. What would your attitude be when that happens? If these things really were true, would you have confidence that you could come and pray in the morning? Or would you think, well, you know, I didn't do everything I was supposed to do? Just begin to think about your own life. Go through these lists. What if... Take, you can just take one of them. What if this really were true? You've got to get it beyond your mind saying, yeah, I know it's true. No, you don't. That's why we're doing this. Just imagine, if I really knew that I had an inheritance from God, I had it now, and I'm looking at my bill, I don't know how we're ever going to make ends meet this month, and I got an inheritance from somebody that makes John D. Rockefeller look like a pauper. Say, well, it's not doing me any good. That's because you don't know how to transfer it yet from the inheritance. Because you can't transfer something you don't believe you have. What would it be like if I really, it really were true that God accepts me in every way right where I am now? If I never changed, I'm still accepted. What would it mean that God took all of His endless grace and just poured it out on me every day? Because you know, Lamentation says His mercies are fresh every morning. So even if you could run out of His supply today, there's a brand new supply tomorrow. Great is His faithfulness. What we're going to do next week is we're going to begin to look at why is it, if all this is really true, why is it that I'm not experiencing any of much, very much of that? Because most of us are not experiencing very much at all. And I'm including myself in there. Why is it that the Word of God says this and I don't see this in my life? Next week, we'll look at understanding how this can be true in the Word and not a reality in my life. And then we're going to begin to learn how to take this truth and bring it over to become a reality in its fullness. God's will is that it be completely yours every day. We determine how much of this we enjoy. So we'll pick up here next week.